0: It's time to decide. You must choose your subscription box. Do you want fluffy, fuzzy things? Do you want a watch that you'll barely even wear? How about more collectibles to fill the shelves in your room? No, you don't want that. You want horror movies, and you want them on DVD. No, you want them on Blu-ray. Well, buddy, it must be an omen because here I am and here's HorrorPack.com. Join HorrorPack.com for $19.99 a month and get three killer DVD movies plus one exclusive. Or join up for $24.99 a month and get three Blu ray blood soakers and an exclusive each month. There, now you've made up your mind, or I have, HorrorPack.com, for the best scare anywhere.
1: Hey everybody, I don't know if you know this or not, but it's time for the anniversary of Achieving Reality, the podcast. That's right, we're working on our seventh year now. Seven years, can you believe it? That's just out of this world. So, I hope you enjoy this episode because it's our, I don't know, 1000th episode or something, something like that. So, happy anniversary to Chris, Larry, Marissa in parentheses, and all the guys here at Achieving Reality, the podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to Achieving Reality. Film school. This week, our interview is with Scott Bradley, author, podcaster, metalhead, and horror fanatic. His podcast happens to be Hellbent for Horror. You should give that a like. We hope you enjoy this interview this week. Very interesting. We spoke the longest with him out of everybody that we interviewed. Mostly just because we bullshit the whole time. <laughs> so sit back, relax, and enjoy this interview with A Cheating Reality Film School. See you at the end.
2: What Stan Lee back on uh, the, the, the face of Stan Lee back in people's minds, back with Mallrats. And because Kevin Smith has this underground cred,
1: mm-hmm. that
2: kind of fed into the comic book world. And I think the comic book world was ready for uh, cinema to start taking a look at Marvel again. So when we get to Iron Man, uh, I think there's enough of a crossover with people who have worked with Kevin Smith and and John Favreau that uh, you can actually say that the guy who legit... It's kind of like I look at Joss Whedon as one of the main reasons that pop culture has finally blurred into regular culture, that it's accepted in that way. Because Buffy the Vampire Slayer normalized horror in a way that it hadn't been before and opened it up for a whole bunch of different people and allowed for a diversity that normally wasn't in horror. And that was like Joss Whedon's work from then on was always kind of this thing that allowed people to kind of have a party atmosphere. And it made people relax about pop culture. And all of a sudden pop culture and regular culture have merged and now people can walk with Pokemon pajamas mm-hmm. into their school, you know, back in the day. And I'm glad that it's not like it I'm was when I was a stare kid. At you
1: funny if you do that. <laughs> well, you just
2: stare funny.
3: Well, no, it's it also, I mean, before Mallrats, Stan Lee was a name and a voice. Right. You know, he was the voice in front of... What? I, if I get any closer to the microphone, I'll be on the other side of it.
2: Are, are you saying you're talking out of the back of your head? Pretty much. <laughs>
1: yeah, he's talking out of his
2: ass. Okay, well, that's a low mic.
3: But before Mallrats, he, he was the voice before Spider-Man's right. cartoons, and he was the name on the comic books.
2: He was a forgotten guy. And when I saw him, I almost had a tear in my eye when I saw Mallrats. And I was like, this is so great. You forget. He was such an amazing icon, Stan Lee. He was so formative in so many people's lives of my age, you know, going through the Silver Age of comics. And uh, he's then forgotten. He's like the Joseph Campbell Able for the time that you're 12 to 15 and then you become a man and he's the forgotten uh mentor and then all of a sudden he comes back to you in such a way like in uh kevin smith's film and you're going and all of a sudden all the waves of gratitude how far you've gone in your geekdom you go basically shit this guy got me here in the beginning so i was so glad that i mean he went through he took the slings of arrows of every jack kirby fan for decades and somewhat rightfully so. Uh, he had kind of gotten away from you know the business in and of itself. The comic books hadn't been what they were before. And so it was a, a resurrection of him. And I thought that it, it then became insane. I mean, now it's insane. And I love the fact that people talk about Marvel Comic Universe films with the same kind of passion they talked about Godfather 1 and 2. And I think more power to that. You know, I think that there's some, if you can be passionate about it, if you can talk in that way, why not? Why not?
3: Well, I think people are starting to see the value of entertainment again, mm-hmm. where you have certain people who won't see a certain, I don't watch movies, I watch films, you know, yeah, type of attitude. And I think we're starting to get back to a point where that public reaction, the people who are entertained by a movie, that there can be both an artistic value and a, yeah. well, a I think culture the, value. I think the art, Bar has
2: raised the so what used to be a comic book movie if you look back at the Corman Fantastic Four right or something if like. I must no, please yeah so yeah if you must so that was how people looked at comics even Dick Tracy you know the the movie uh, mm-hmm. I can't remember his Warren, name. Beatty. Warren Beatty thank you. Warren Beatty film. Or, See, that
1: was a great film.
2: Yeah, but it doesn't take itself seriously, right? right. It, doesn't, it doesn't really want to ins- aspire to more. It's, almost, it's loving, but also still taking the piss of this is kiddie stuff. But suddenly now we're starting to realize that comics, comic books, cartoons, things like that are icons, iconography for our time. You know, these are the legends and lore and myth. There's nothing wrong with that. Just because we knew the people who made them, Hanna-Barbera and guys like that, just because we know names doesn't mean that it's still not mythical. And so we're starting to finally take that seriously. Iron Man took it seriously. Iron Man took, you know, uh, the idea and made it modern, gave it pathos and added attitude and fun. All of that stuff. So I don't just say, because people have been entertained forever. They've been making Monkey is the Mayor movies forever, right? There's always been fart joke movies. Entertainment's always been around, whatever you want to call it. Uh, So having uh, the bar lowered isn't the point. I think it is that the bar has raised and people are accepting that. Now, I always think that the gatekeepers need to go fuck themselves. So anybody who's sitting there being the art person, who, like people who say things that drive me crazy, like post-horror or elevated horror. No, go fuck yourself. It's horror. Stop trying. Why do you hate horror so much? Why are you so ashamed of the thing that you love? Right. Because you love it enough to watch it. You're, you love it enough to do all this, but please don't let it be near the grimy neighbors that are the other horror movies. Oh, my goodness. You know, they'll steal the silverware. So get rid of that attitude. Okay, Where it's
1: okay. All gone. Shit. okay, and
3: <laughs> yeah. in all honesty, yes, some of them will. Oh yes, some of them I've will. I've been to a convention or two. Oh yes, yeah, yeah.
2: There's a, there's no saying no honor among thieves or independent horror film makers. But uh, yeah, there's there's stuff that's out there that's not that great. But even those things, I kind of champion. And at some point, somewhere, they're telling a the truth. Like I say that if you want to really find out what drove people crazy, what the anxieties were of any decade watch the B-movies, watch the horror movies that were the Grindhouse movies, and then see what it is that people were really scared of. Not what the history books want to tell you, but watch the movies and say, I had three wives and things like that. And you start to realize that the dissolving of the American family has been happening for a long period of time. And you'll find out what people really felt about the the white flight. Like the first uh, Grindhouse movies were movies about white trafficking, you know, women, Dutch women, going to New York City and being sold into prostitution. It wasn't really happening, but that was the fear that people had of what was happening, of the dehumanization of people in the cities at that point, and that was in the silent movie era. Now, that's not talked about in the in the history books, but that's what people were nervous about. If you look at movies uh, from the '60s, late '60s, and everything's about women and pregnancies and things like that well oh well women's rights all of that uh, the pill all of that starts to build and bleed into what horror is talking about because it's built just to, to point and poke fingers at
3: the anxieties that we have in the late 50s you have invaders from mars yeah. or so just thinly veiled red oh, scare movies oh yeah
2: and uh, i love uh the giant bugs the giant bug movies, nuclear bugs. Atomic horrors, yeah. Yeah, atomic horrors are so great because we opened Pandora's box. And that was the Duck and Cover era, yeah. Because yeah.
1: that was going to do a lot.
2: Yeah, exactly. I love that, like Godzilla, Gohera, where mm. you've got this amazing metaphor for what happened with the atom bomb. And what's interesting is that it's an old god, right? If you watch the first movie, they talk about how there's all this weird stuff where uh, boats are disappearing off the coast of Tokyo, and they're starting to talk about this old god, and suddenly this thing rises. And what does it do? Does it go after San Francisco? Does it go to New York City? No, it goes after Tokyo. That's a really interesting thing for a Japanese film to do. You know, you have the bomb once again coming. You have to remember the Bikini Islands and all that stuff. They're still bombing. They're doing underwater bombing mm-hmm. in the islands while that movie's being made,
3: you know? And then they have to fix it by creating an even more dangerous weapon. Right. Sarcasm.
2: Yeah. <laughs> the sarcasm bomb will kill us all. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Right.
1: <laughs> what did that do? Nothing. But he's pissed. <laughs> Are we, we even starting? <clears throat> Are we start? actually recording? Oh, was I supposed to be
3: recording? I don't know. I, I came in late. <laughs> I was excusing myself. Okay, well that was a good loosening up.
1: That's good. It's just like our regular show.
3: It's, <laughs> a, it's okay. I can cut things. I'm used to it. I can rearrange, I can I can make it sound like robots. All right. So you have audacity we'll with audition. robot
2: voice. I have audition with robot voices. I have audition
1: too. <laughs> I have audacity with Robo You
2: are audacity. Look in the dictionary right there.
1: Probably, uh, at least it's at least it's not uh, gullible.
2: I have Reaper. <laughs> oh, Reaper's good. Yeah. I am the Reaper. I love this. Now everybody that's been listening to the show is like, okay, here's
3: where they go. Tech geek time
2: for the popcorn. Time to go for coffee. Let me tell you all about. Fast my... forward a
3: minute, five and... oh two, and I heard the spoiler alert. Yeah, fast <laughs> forward three minutes if you don't want any spoilers. That's... Do we give
1: spoiler alerts here? Um, After
3: the fact. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. After the fact. <laughs>
1: that's great so. We'll blow ones... up. Spoilers.
2: Okay. Fair but enough. Then again, that's in fair.
1: our case, we're talking about stuff. If you haven't seen it by now, <sighs> you're not going to. That, yeah. That's
2: how I look at it. It's like uh, I had somebody call me out on my show for uh, a spoiler alert on Psycho.
1: Psycho? Really? Are you kidding me? Even the remake is basically just the same thing. Yeah, you know, Hell, the television show ended up being the same thing right up to the end there. Right. What, was it Jim
3: says on his podcast, Monster Attack podcast, he, he says, spoiler hurts for a 50-year-old movie. Yeah. It's like <laughs> I love
2: that I, I generate interest for some of these films that people haven't seen, right? I, I love that. I try not to give spoilers. But at the same point, it is funny that sometimes there are movies like Psycho or The Birds. Those two movies or Jaws. These are movies that are like yeah. in the lexicon mean they have. you're gonna need a bigger boat is you know part of uh, Parlance in Zeitgeist. I've,
3: and i yeah, Zeitgeist. And I've run go. into people who said, Oh, that's where that's from. Yeah. And it, it to me it's just mind blowing. How yeah. could you not know where that's from? But right. yeah, they they didn't see Jaws. That was a movie their parents watched. Right. But they know we're gonna need a bigger boat. Right. Right. I've heard that recently on a
2: podcast that I was listening to. That
1: you needed a bigger boat?
2: That I needed a bigger boat. I needed a bigger wit. That was my biggest problem. But uh, the, the idea that someone was talking about a film, and it was something from like the 90s. They said, and I want to recommend it even though it's an older film. I was like, wow, older film geez, that's right, it is an older film. But I would never think, you know, when I was young and, you know, the midnight movies would be black and white films, I'd go, right. well, okay, I can see some people not wanting to see something because it's black and white. That's such an obvious difference of era. But when you start thinking about movies from the 80s and people are going to go, well, you know, I don't really want to watch that because it's an old movie and it's like, but it's in color.
1: <laughs> All the colors are there. And there were so many epic '80 movies. Oh, yeah,
2: yeah.
3: I'm sure many do.
1: Date,
2: but, it's a, but
3: it's a thing where if it happened before I was born, you know, right, it doesn't apply to me.
2: And I, I had that a little bit, but I'm one of those weird kids that once I found out that there was, I, I ran out of the original stuff that was happening at the time very quickly. I voraciously read and I voraciously watched films, so I had to go back. And I was one of those guys that loved. I thought it was a great secret to know who influenced who. So if you have this one director who says, well, I was influenced by this movie and I've never heard of that film. I must see that film.
3: It's like, oh, great. One one of the fortunate things for me is my my parents were, my dad was 40 when I was born. His point of reference was so much further back Mm. than what it would traditionally be. And my brother's like 17 years different, 13 years difference, nine years difference between me and my siblings. So all of their point of views are being filtered into my growing up. Mm-hmm. So I had firsthand knowledge of all this good stuff. Yeah. But then when I go to school or whatever, nobody knows what I'm talking about. They're not exposed to that sort of yeah. thing.
2: That was my dad. My dad uh, was functionally illiterate. Uh, he was uh, in the military, uh, an MP, and all of that. But he was uh, functionally illiterate. But he wanted to be a DJ. He was the first generation of rock and roll. My mm-hmm. dad was a serious rockabilly rock and roll. They were lover. heroes. Yeah, and he was. Uh, so I grew up with him having stacks of 45s, and we would make we do DJ nights. You know, we'd sit there and play music for each other. So I learned the history of rock and roll. And the same thing happened with movies. I I say that my dad was my first film professor. You know, he showed me them and The Thing, the original The Thing and all that because these were his favorite films. Now, they weren't my favorite, but it was something that I could, you know, enjoy with him. And then I had to find the one that was mine, right? I needed to find ones that were going to be of my time that were going to excite me. But I learned to be kind of a a historian on that stuff because of my dad. And because he had uh, a very unique taste and he loved westerns a lot and he loved... uh, Abbott and Costello and you know, all of these things. So I got this really broad information from a time long before me. And then there was the stuff that I loved. And I was encyclopedic by the time, you know, I started getting into home box office in the early, early days of home box office when they put anything on oh, yeah. at any time of the day. And you watched Dirty Mary Crazy Larry five hundred times and the Poseidon Adventure and all of that. And I became at that point someone who started to notice the stars in one movie that were also in another movie. And, Oh, I've seen that name 15 times now in 15 different movies. And uh, I collected baseball cards the same way.
3: You start to see, you start to recognize themes, right. and Homages to older movies in the movies that you're watching currently. Yeah, that's lost on people who didn't have that background. Yeah, well, I
2: think the people that I vacillate to, like I love going to cons. I go to horror conventions a lot and I go there for the conversation. I don't go there for the autographs or anything like that. I might go to some panels. Those are fun. And occasionally I'll get to talk to some celebrities if they're around. But the the big thing is talking to other fans and the fans that I like to talk to are the ones that are compelled to do more than be on the sidelines watching. There are the viewers, which are absolutely important. But then there are the people who have the compulsion. We're sitting here on the fourth floor of this uh, theater with microphones in our faces when we could be just watching movies because we're compelled to do more than just be on the sidelines. We need to create in some way. We are so happy and rejoicing in the creative process of other people. They've done so much for us that we need to give a gift to whatever that gift might be. And in this case, it ends up being, you know, the discussion that happens with it. And I stay up till 4 o'clock in the morning at conventions talking to people like me who were just obsessed and we do that thing of knowing who's in what movie. And it doesn't even matter if we know those things. It's It's not a hoarding of information. I think with horror fans in particular, Heavy metal fans who used to, like I was back in the day when you had cassette tapes in all of your pockets and you would hand them out to each other. Uh, you, the thing was to inspire someone to listen to something that they've never listened to before. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with horror. Have you seen this? It's not to mock you. It's to say, you need to see this. Right. Go see this now. If you like that, here's a little taste of what that movie's like. And it's like, boom, that's what I go for. When people are so excited that we spend all night talking about other people's
3: work. Like when you go to the conventions in the late 80s, you always go to the table that didn't really have a sign, and <laughs> right. all their videotapes kind of had you know, Sony cases. Right.
2: They all said yeah. wedding video. And they all start with <laughs> a blue
3: screen, and then the word play comes up in the corner.
2: Right. The nefarious days.
3: <laughs> but that's where you got exposed yeah. to like, seeing you know, John Woo movies. You didn't see them here. The regular networks didn't have an interest in showing that. But then somebody would whisper to you at a convention, oh, you've got to see this movie. And this guy over here seems to have a copy on his table or whatever grindhouse movies that hasn't been available or your copy of Heavy Metal.
2: Yeah, right. Lack of availability made myths all over the place. And that was a great time of wonderful mystery where there were still shadows in the information world. And I remember... uh, I saw children shouldn't play with dead things in a bootleg and uh, uh what was the one oh my goodness it's got, it's a by Clark uh, who did Black Christmas that was uh, supposed to be Ed Gein. and I can't remember the, I can't remember the name of the movie now but uh, uh Robert's Blossoms was uh, played him but it was a really dis- gruesome one where they had the actual body hanging mm. thing at the very end and that was made more disturbing because it was a grainy Third generation copy in an unmarked box, right? And so you're like, wow, this is, a, we, there used to be this real feel of mystery and evil. I remember when I first saw Snuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it came out on VHS and it was just a black case with the word Snuff on it and like a little, made it look like it was in a wrapped paper bag. Right. And, you know, that movie. <laughs> It's 85 minutes of another movie called Slaughter that was done in Central America, and then this five minutes of this, you know, incoherent thing of somebody being killed. It's obvious that it's not real. But when I picked up that thing, the reputation had weight. That was the heaviest box I ever picked up of a VHS because it had all of this. Man, I'm gonna see something it that has I'm mystique. Yeah, I may never unsee. Right, and so now it's. Because I've experienced that, it's not the same to just double-click on something on YouTube Mm. or on BitTorrent. Although if all I did was grow up to that, that would still have some form of mystique. But there's something about how long it took to find certain things, like Last House on Dead End Street, which once it actually came to DVD and was cleaned up, it wasn't nearly as scary. It was the idea of how it was third generation, too dark. It was all dubbed that you thought, shit, this might be real, grimy, greasy, nasty. It's one of the nastiest films. Once you clean it up a little bit, though, it loses a little bit of its luster.
3: Well, I think that's part of the big obsession now with the dark web or the deep web. People want to go in this and see things I'm not supposed to see, and a lot of people will tell you, "Well, you go out there; it's really just stuff that it's not impressive." Right, but it has it's a format where you know, you're know you not supposed to go there. You're not supposed to see that, and so people are drawn to it. Sure. And there's a whole industry growing up around, you know, oh, well, use our VPN or use this so that you don't get you know, right. some kind of weird virus going out there on the deep web. And what is the big one now where they have um, we ordered a mystery box
1: from the deep web. Oh, oh yeah, wow. that's the new thing. Because, you know, mis- well, not really anymore, but mystery boxes were such a big deal. Oh, we ordered this $5,000 box off the deep web. Let's wow. see what's in it. You know, and then everything they pull out is crap. Right, Al Capone's and, vault. Yeah, oh. then, yeah and then they have, like, the hard drive, you know, the thumb drive. They pull out, and they're like, what's on this? And then you never see what's on the thumb drive. Ah, that's they when the FBI shoot. came in. <laughs> no, because no one ever actually buys the mystery box off the dark, dark right. web there. They go through their house and find out what right. shit they've got stuffed in the <laughs> attic or something.
3: Or they make it into, well, I don't want to call it a fake video, but it's, we'll call it an enhanced reality video and scripted reality show type of situation where they try and tell you a type of story, but pretend that it's real. You know? Right. Which is fun, but if it's not done well, it comes off yeah, really bad. I, I'm always skeptical
2: about how, just road. how big the dark web really is and stuff.
3: But well, yeah. some of the stuff I've seen, it's a lot of it's just stuff that people are putting out there because they don't have hosting for it on yeah. the regular site. Or, yeah. I'm also confused by it because Ogrish was back
2: in the... Uh, and Bloody... or What was it? Rotten.com. These were real yeah. things in the 90s. Yeah. You know? So it's not like the, any of this is new, and it's not like mm-hmm. any of this... I don't remember people getting arrested in huge amounts for watching videos of somebody committing suicide, which is a disturbing thought in and of itself. But, I mean, that was being done. I mean, no,
3: that, I mean, people protest and things get taken down off of commercial hosting sites. Yeah. But if they're hosting it themselves, yeah. you can basically put up what you want. It's an
2: unsettling thing, you know, uh, for, for all the... Uh, carnage that i love in films in horror films and stuff i still like to know that it's simulated right you, know, you can take me up to the line of wow is that real or not but i want to know it's kind of like uh charlie sheen thing with blood of flesh and uh, the american guinea pig i can't believe that a film guy someone who's actually in movies got fooled by those movies it's just ridiculous but at the end they still have to show you how they did some of the effects because that were there was such a fervor. I think people are just hoping that it's real, so that they can just
3: stop it all. You know? Right? And just, please,
2: but, please let it be real. I and mean, you
3: could see at the end of the movie you know, Anthony right. Hopkins eating Ray Liotta's brains straight right. from his head. Yeah. And it doesn't have the impact on you that seeing a video where somebody shoots themselves off camera, but you hear the shot go off, is so much more impactful because of that. Because you know, oh, that really happened. Yeah. Even though you didn't see it.
1: Or worse, is, uh, was it a senator or something that blew his head off? Yeah, R. Bud Dwyer. Yeah.
2: Pennsylvania Senator, yeah. Yeah, and then there was
1: a news anchor that did the same thing. She killed herself Hmm. on the air. Oh, Lord. They couldn't cut away fast enough.
2: It's horrible. It's horrible. Yeah, I was from Pennsylvania you know, when that happened. It was a big deal. I, I, it's amazing how that has gone into the, the, the popular consciousness as well. People don't necessarily. Our Bud Dwyer was also kind of a forgotten figure, but in the last decade or so, he's become this meme. And he's become this, the video right. has popped up. And I don't know where people were finding it and why they had such interest in it. But it even showed up as a stinger, or what I call a stinger on Mr. Robot. They recreated it, but it was with a, a uh, news company talking to the CEO of a major banking company and it's basically uh, Mr. Robot was this show where uh, using uh, sabotage, internet sabotage, basically destroy the economic system. So this guy's on TV and uh, he's being interviewed live and he has, it's just like Arbudwar. He has this satchel. He's like, Where's my satchel? Where's my satchel? If you've ever seen the Arbudwire thing, he's like got this thing. He's doing a, a news report. Right. He's ba- everybody's expecting him to just resign because he's in great disgrace. And instead he pulls out this gun and he says, Just everybody stay back. I don't want this is dangerous. I don't want to hurt anybody. And the guy pretty much says the same thing in Mr. Robot. Doesn't look like Arbudwire, but he does this thing and then he shoots himself in the mouth. And his head goes back and he comes back and His nose is like a waterfall of blood. And that's the thing that you remember from our boudoir. And as soon as I felt that, it was a stinger to remind me of our boudoir without doing our boudoir. That also brings me back to the economic strife of that time in the 80s when he actually did that. It's a very clever way for them to get you to feel an emotion of a real-world situation to put punctuation into their fantasy world. And I thought it was really smart, but I was also like, fuck. How does Arbud Dwyer, this obscure guy, suddenly be you know a stinger in a network TV show? Yeah.
3: It reminds me of Dee Wallace at the end of Howling, mm-hmm. yeah. where she says, "Ladies and gentlemen, I have something," and she interrupts the broadcast. It's very reminiscent of that sort of affair, except she's going to turn into a she's going to turn into a yeah. Yorkie, basically. Right, turns into Chewbacca, <laughs> but it's this, it gives you that same feeling. There's a certain urgency to it. There's a certain, i it, it kind of adds a bit of legitimacy to the situation because it reminds you of things you've heard about or seen. Yeah,
2: And I think that's a really smart, I think Dante was really onto something with the howling when, when that end happens because they do cut away finally, right? Yeah. And it goes to like an Alpo commercial. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and so in a way he's making a joke, but he's also saying this is not going to change shit. It's not going to change anything. They're going to be able to somehow write that away. And I I forget what that that syndrome is. It's not Stockholm syndrome, but there's a syndrome, cognitive dissonance, where something happens where all of your truths become lies and just go, no, that's not real. And everybody goes, yeah, you're right. That's not real. Because it can't be real. Yeah, it can't be real because that would mean everything is wrong.
3: That doesn't fit in with yeah. the way I see the
2: world. It's not my mindset, you know, and it would mean that every one of my parents and grandparents and everything were wrong. So, therefore, it's not real.
3: Well, I mean, it's part of what feeds things like the moon landing hoax. Right. People, oh, my people, Lord. Yeah. People are like, oh, the moon landing was fake because I said so.
2: Yeah. I know people that I consider really smart, like artists who believe that Stanley Kubrick did the moon landing. And I'm like, I, can't, I guess maybe because you're a little younger than me, but I remember that actually happening. And, and not only that, I mean, Kubrick made Dr. Strangelove, and he had to do all the stuff secretly. He was in trouble with uh, the Defense Department because even though they did not let him on a B-52, And he was not uh, allowed to do anything with the documentation because he was making a a war film that was not going to be uh, endorsed by uh, the United States military. It was not going to have that wonderful seal. So he got into trouble because he did such an accurate job of showing all of this stuff and what a B-52 actually looked like. that They thought that he had a spy somehow to do this. So this is the guy out of all these things, just because he did 2001 A Space Odyssey, that the United States government is going to come to and say, you can keep a secret, right? We want you, the guy who made Dr. Strangelove and mocked our entire uh, war program that we have and the missile program. You're the guy that's perfect for doing something for the propaganda of the United States government. Surely you're the guy that's going to want... Oh, where do you live now, England? Oh, you're the perfect American to do this. So well, we can we so- can
3: disprove that theory because... Stanley Kubrick had done it it wouldn't be so poorly edited. Right, right.
2: It would have never it would have been done now, right? Posthumously. It would have, he's well, that's still like, revising it. That's we're what still Tom out Cruise there said
3: about him while they were making eyes wide shut that they were making eyes wide shut but in, in his head he was still cutting the shining.
2: <laughs> that's funny. That's actually a pretty good line.
3: They they said that he actually kept working on it after it had been released and Oh uh, sent yeah. Out. So you can imagine what would happen with he was trying to fake the moon landing yeah. for us. Yeah, People can't even keep their mouths
2: shut about who's having an affair with somebody. You're going to have all these fucking film people who are going to keep a secret like that. Why? Because it's good for America? Oh, yeah. That's a real motivation for a lot of, of these folk that would have been involved in that film. So
3: I don't know. But people will believe what they want. Armstrong wouldn't have flubbed the line either because right. after Take 135, he'd have gotten it right. Right. You just
2: got to hear to go do it himself. You know? i out what you're doing.
3: Are with. we starting
2: yet, by the way? Do we have a, an agenda?
3: No, <laughs> apparently <laughs> not. Agendas don't make for good podcasting. <clears throat> okay, I see. That's, that's
2: so anathema to mine. I'm like pulling my fingernails out by now. <laughs> I'm, I'm one of those. I got to cover that, this, got to cover that. Yeah, thing. I'm a kind of like, oh, we need to have some kind of structure. I'm going to lose my
3: mind. That's the thing with Thars show is that we want to have people feel like they're sitting Stream of at the table with us. That's why we use a binaural mic instead of these type of mics, because it puts you at the end of the table with us. And we're a waste of time podcast. And
2: you're also doing relatively well at not doing in jokes and stuff. I mean, a lot of times <laughs> uh, with uh, yeah podcasts that just they just talk to each other.
3: Well, that's in our normal episodes. That's what we do. That's all we do. Oh, really? Oh. <laughs> wow. And
2: you guys. Uh, See, I, I can't do it. I'm just, I I love talking on a subject until it dies. (laughs) That's a short road for
3: us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we've been working together for. We've been doing this for six
3: years.
2: Right. So you have it where it's not manufactured in any way, shape or form.
3: Unless something happened to me on the way over to this house. We don't really have anything new to talk about.
1: Which would be really hard because it's like 300 yards. Okay.
3: Well, fair enough.
2: (laughs) Sounds like a challenge.
1: So Larry, I was on the way over here, yeah, and nothing happened again. Uh, thanks. <laughs> Somebody hit a squirrel. Somebody hit a squirrel, yeah. Now, when I had the brewery, there was a lot of stories, and mm-hmm. cause I had a lot of shit going on, so that was easy. But, yeah, ever since, it's not like it was. Mm-hmm. Got so. it. Well, we're here at the Women in Horror
2: Film Festival. What, uh, have Wait, you watched anything?
1: Have, who's the host here? <laughs> Now, let me let me get this started. Well, right. That's how I technical, go. Technical I go. he is because
3: yeah. he's got his own.
1: Yeah, well we'll, we'll have to learn about that. Yeah. Uh, you should probably ask him. I will in just in just a second. And there you go, another Achieving Reality Film School. We'd like to thank Scott Bradley for his time he spent with us and being able to do the interview. He's a very interesting guy, really in the metal, really into horror. Everybody should go listen to his podcast at www.hellbentforhorror.com. And he's on all the podcasting uh, sites that, you know, host that kind of thing. Okay, so for Chris, myself, Scott, Marissa in parentheses, and everybody else involved, I'm Larry saying stay tuned for more Achieving Reality Film School.
0: Hey everybody, Larry
1: here from Achieving Reality the Podcast. So you've missed the last few episodes, have ya? That's cool. We got you covered now. That's right, Achieving Reality the Podcast is now on Spotify. Nice, right? So, now you can listen to us on Podbean, Google Play, Google Podcasts, and iTunes, and Spotify. We're growing and growing. I mean, Wow. Follow us on Facebook and give us a listen on all of our new platforms and our old platforms. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Achieving
0: Reality, the podcast. See you soon.